How's everybody doing this morning? All right, good, good. We're awake. We're awake. There's not as many of you as usual, so you gotta, you know, you gotta speak up a little bit there. I guess with with summer starting and camp, uh, things going on. I guess uh, people are are off serving the Lord, which is which is a good thing. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, a familiar passage, no doubt, to, to most of us or to all of us, but maybe a fresh look will bring some new inspiration today. It, it does seem to be relevant. As I went through, prepared this message, I thought, well, this is, uh, this is a relevant topic for today. Um, so let's, uh, let's read from, we'll start with the, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through verse 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit an eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at his place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we commit our time now to you in prayer. Uh, thank you for your word and for this uh, written testimony we have of your own uh, words in, in, when you were on this earth interacting with, with this lawyer and with people there. And so we just, again, we know this has meaning for us today. We pray that it will, it will give us inspiration today to live for you and to uh, live righteously. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so we see here there's really two sections to what I read here from, the, from the Luke chapter 10. There's the first that starts with the question uh, from the lawyer. That's what kind of sets things in motion here for Jesus to uh, give this parable. And so, uh, so we see this lawyer here, a certain lawyer stood up. So I guess one of the things I just wanted to talk about today was, first of all, uh, what, what did a lawyer do in the days of Jesus? Uh, was he someone who uh, went to court and prosecuted people or defended people? No, that's not what a lawyer did. Uh, was a lawyer someone who drew up business contracts uh, to keep both sides honest? No, it's not what a lawyer did. The lawyer mentioned here in this passage would have been a religious leader of the day who was an expert in the Mosaic law uh, or the Old Testament law. He would have been one of the smartest people in the room. 
Um, when there was a tough question, people would have looked to him to give the answer. Uh, today we see that with, say, on the news, you're watching a, a news channel and they have an expert come on, and this happens all the time where they explain something to us that we, are, we're, we don't understand because it's something very uh, complicated. Another thing that I think of too is uh, when you watch the NFL, a lot of times now they have the challenge of the call on the field and so the ref goes under the hood there and he's looking at the play over and over again and of course and the, the commentator's gotta keep the thing moving so they're talking about what the, what the call's gonna be and they, they bring in this guy from New York City and I think the little corner of the screen where they show his face, and he's, he's your lawyer, right? He's your expert. He's gonna explain to you the rules and, and, all, and what everything means and, and that kind of thing. So, so the lawyer is the expert. So the lawyer stands up and asks Jesus a question. So now you know that he's, he's a smart guy, right? He's not just any, anybody asking a question. He's, he's one of the smart guys. Everybody's gonna be looking. Well, what's, what's the lawyer gonna say? So the, um, so the lawyer asks Jesus a question and he puts Jesus to the test. Right, that's what the Bible says here. And that's what the Jewish leaders did a lot in those days, whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees or other Jewish religious leaders. They liked to put Jesus to the test. And I think that what, the reason they did that is they wanted to make him look bad. They wanted him to maybe look foolish or look like they were smarter than him or kind of catch him in his words. And, and so they did that because they didn't want people to follow him, right? They didn't think Jesus was the Messiah and they knew that the people did and uh, they wanted to discredit him somehow. And also, too, they wanted to be able to arrest him someday, and they, it was hard to arrest him when he was so popular, right? When you have a, a man who's uh, coming into Jerusalem on like the day of, uh, of uh, Palm, what we call Palm Sunday, right? And he comes in and everybody's cheering him and praising him and worshiping him, and you're gonna go arrest him, it's, it's just not gonna work. And, of course, that's why they arrested him at night, right? Because they could never catch him in some kind of false teaching or trip him up or any way to make him look bad. So what they did is they arrested him by night. Uh, but here, um, this lawyer was putting him to the test, trying to trip him up. And I think maybe he wasn't quite maybe like the other leaders trying to arrest Jesus or anything like that. I think what he was doing, though, he thought he was wise and he, he would perhaps could make Jesus look bad or make Jesus look foolish or, or um, and that kind of thing. And, and it, perhaps he was sincerely seeking to the truth. It could have been as well. So we really don't know. But he was testing Jesus with his question. Anyway, he asked a really good question, right? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's an excellent question. I think everybody should ask that question of, of somebody that they think would, would have the answer. Um, I know that Many of you here are Christians, as I know, probably everyone here almost, and uh, you're Christians. I believe you're a Christian. You probably asked that question, well, what, what do I do to get saved? What do I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? What do I do to um, have my sins forgiven? And uh, that's a really good question. And I would love to be able to explain that. To, I wish people would ask me that question every day, and I'm sure you would too, right? Did you want to share your faith and 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 help people to come to know the Lord. Now, yesterday, my cousin Jason, who's a pastor in California, and some of you might remember him, he came here quite a few years ago and preached, and he's, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty close, uh, very close actually. I, I led him to the Lord when he was a child, and so he's a pastor on California of a big church, but anyway, he texted me yesterday 
the list of the most post-Christian cities in America, right? And guess who's on the list quite high up? Can you guess this? Rochester, right? Rochester is number eight on the cities in America of the most post-Christian cities in America. I didn't have a chance to read the whole article. I kind of went to the list. But one of the things, um, well, the interesting thing, too, was that he lives in California, like right in the middle, in a, in a small city. And there was a city near him that was number nine. So I think he thought that was quite coincidental that I'm an eight and he's in, he's in number nine. <laughs> so anyway, we got some work to do, right? Uh, but one of the, I just kind of looked through the article to see what, what, how they based the study. And one of the first things they said is one of the criteria was reluctance to engage in spiritual conversation, right? So that's what we find here a lot in, I guess, in, in the United States and Rochester in particular. In particular, it's hard to get people to engage in spiritual conversations. You bring up something, you say something about church. Like, hey, I was in church yesterday and they were praying for my son. He was going away to the army. And falls flat, right? <laughs> people don't, oh yeah, what church you go to? You know, no, there's no, there's no conversation like that in many instances, right? When you try to introduce the Lord or church or something spiritual into the conversation. Um, but if we were to, if we were to be given the opportunity, we would tell them about Jesus, wouldn't we? We'd tell them that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he rose again on the third day. And if we have faith in that, we trust in him for salvation, he will certainly uh, give us eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. But as we look at this passage here, Jesus doesn't exactly say what I just said, right? Well, for one thing, he hadn't died yet. Right? He hadn't died for the sin, uh, our sins. He hadn't rose again. It's, this was really a different time, a different period of time before Jesus died for our sins. So he, but he uses a different approach for other reasons, too. Now, he knows that a lawyer would be thinking that, hey, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm a righteous person, I'm kind of up here, and pretty much everybody else is down here. I really know the law. I'm a good person. And I'm asking this question you know, about what I shall do to inherit eternal life because I know that I am going to inherit eternal life because I am a good person. So I think this is the, you know, that Jesus knows this is what's going on here. So Jesus doesn't say to him, well, you know, you need to believe in me and have faith in me, right? He doesn't say that to him, but he leads him down a different path. And first, as he's leading him down this path, he turns things around on him by asking the lawyer, well, what do you think the answer is to your question? What what is, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You're an expert. Uh, tell me what you think. So in that, in that way, Jesus put himself in the position of evaluating what the lawyer had to say instead of the lawyer evaluating what he had to say. And that's what Jesus would do uh, sometimes when he was dealing with people. Um, so the lawyer's answer, as we read, was basically to keep the law, right? To love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor of yourself, and that's how we would expect a lawyer to respond. And by the way, this is virtually the same answer Jesus gave another part of the New Testament when he was questioned by the Pharisees about what is the greatest commandment of the law. It wasn't the same question, but what's the greatest commandment of the law? So, so it was a good answer, and Jesus responds by telling them that he's right, and if he will do this, if you do this, you will inherit eternal life, right? Uh, do this and you will live. Um, now, that's kind of an interesting response, right? Do this and you will live. Well, how, how, did, how did the lawyer take that? Hmm, can I, can I actually do that? 
And, and Jesus knows that no person, not even an expert of the law, can keep uh, the law 100% of the time. Um, and, and if you intend on going, if you intend on inheriting eternal life by keeping the law, by keeping the commandments, by, uh, you need to be 100% perfect, right? You need 100% perfection. Uh, you just can't be a good person. You have to be a perfect person. I think of the old example of a, of a baseball player who you know, has a say he has a batting average of 390. Now I haven't checked, but I bet you if you were batting 390 in the majors, you'd probably be leading the majors. And if you weren't a millionaire yet, you would be soon be a millionaire. <laughs> They'd be signing you up real fast, right? Um, now my nephew, some of you know my nephew Joey Carlotta plays baseball in the minor leagues, and um, he would love to have a 390 batting average because that would mean he'd probably move up a lot faster than he is. And uh, by the way, he had a couple home runs the last two nights, so we're we're happy. You know, it's like go, Joey, go. We uh, we interesting. He started the season off in in Washington State, and uh, he ended he ended up uh, entirely across the country in Portland, Maine. So he wasn't too happy about that, but uh, he's still playing baseball. And the good thing is we get to see him play because he comes down to, to Erie and Pennsylvania and Binghamton. So we, we're going to get to see him play this year. And if he moves up to the next level, he'll actually come to Rochester. I'll let you know if he does. But, uh, but anyway, even if a baseball player is batting 500, they wouldn't be, that wouldn't be good enough to earn salvation because you would need to bat 1,000. You need to be perfect. Uh, Jesus, uh, James 2.10 tells us, For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So as the lawyer reflects on what Jesus said, as I said, he's probably realizing, well, yeah, okay, I said the right thing. He said, if I do that, I'll live, but oh, can I do that? So he wants to justify himself, as it says there. So, so one of the things he was probably thinking about was this thing about being a neighbor, right? Loving your neighbor, because as I was thinking about this, um, so he takes a deeper dive to this thing because he wants to justify himself. And I think this gives us some, some insight into how, what, he was like, what he was thinking inside, what his heart was like. Because if you considered everyone your neighbor, right, if you considered every person your neighbor, no matter what their background is and who they are, uh, you probably wouldn't have asked this question. But I think uh, he probably wanted to limit the number of people that were considered his neighbor. And so he wanted to clarify. He wanted some rules around who is my neighbor, who am I supposed to love? Um, is it just the people who live near me? Is it the people, the Jewish people? Is it our Samaritans my neighbor? Our Gentiles my neighbor? Our foreigners my neighbor? So, um, and I think this is probably something that as a lawyer, they probably discussed it with other lawyers, right? Other Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. They, they probably discussed it, and, they, and I wouldn't doubt that they came to the conclusion, or maybe they debated it back and forth, but they pro probably a popular position was to hold it. Well, there are certain people that aren't your neighbors, so you don't have to love them, right? Um, think about Samaritans. Now, this is a parable about the Good Samaritan, interestingly enough. And so what do we know about Samaritans and Jews in that time? Well, and I'll, go, I'll explain more what a Samaritan was in a few minutes, but um, just realize now that Samaritans or Jews did not like Samaritans. Samaritans were... Um, uh, people who were um, um, like a mixed race. They were a mixed race between Jewish people and, and, and non-Jewish people or Gentiles. Uh, they were also uh, 
mixed the Jewish faith with teaching from idolatry. Uh, so they were um, looked down upon, and they were and Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So naturally, it would seem natural that that this lawyer would think, well, Samaritans not my neighbor, right? Then there's also the Gentiles. Well, the Jews were the ones who received the law from God. They were God's chosen people. And just by the fact that they were God's chosen people, well, those people over there we call Gentiles are not God's chosen people. They don't know anything. God didn't teach them, uh, give them the law. And so naturally they're lower than us, and we don't consider them our neighbors either. So you see that you see what was going on here? It wasn't such an easy thing to say love your neighbor in the mind of a Jewish person because you know, who is my neighbor? So Jesus then provides the parable of the Good Samaritan, which um, he doesn't call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, but uh, that's what we call it. And uh, again, this is a parable, and I didn't really talk much about what a parable is, but you know, it's not a real story. It's something, a story that Jesus created to explain uh, a point, right, to make a point of teaching. So he gives, uh, Jesus gives this uh, parable here, that a man went on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, and robbers attacked him, as you know, as you, we just read, stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. So keep in mind, now keep in mind here one thing that you might not have noticed, is that the, the, the race or religion or anything about the man who was beaten is not revealed, right? We don't know from Jesus for sure anything about who this man was, what his race was or religion, anything like that. So, so a priest happens to come by, and he avoids him. Now, the priest would have known, right, that he was supposed to love his neighbor. That's what the law taught. So naturally, he would have, he would have helped him. So now either he said, well, I don't feel like being a good neighbor today, so I'm going to pass by on the other side. But I don't think that was the case. I think what the case was, and this is some conjecture, that the priest um, avoided him because he did not consider that man his neighbor. He considered him somebody other than whether he was a Samaritan, whether he was a foreigner, whatever. That man was not something, somebody he considered his neighbor under his rules, under his way of looking at things. So he didn't show him love, and he passed by on the other side. So the next person to come by is a Levite. So what is a Levite? Just, just to explain, just in case you don't know, again, a lot of Bible scholars here, so I kind of feel like you know, I'm telling you things you already know, but maybe there's a few people that don't know. It's good to go over it anyway. So what is a Levite? Well, they were from the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 tribes, the original tribes of Israel. Levi, you know, remember, Jacob had the 12 sons, and, and and they, that became the 12 tribes of Israel, and Levi was one of those sons. And so we have the Levites. It means you were a descendant of Levi. And the interesting thing about the Levites is that, is that they were the ones chosen to be the priests. So all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So that priest that we just talked about a second ago, he's a Levite too. Uh, but... But then there are Levites who are not priests, and what they, were, what they did is they were servants and helpers to the priests. So the point is, he was a Levite. He should have known, right? He knew the law. He was in the inside. He was maybe just a step under a priest. So he knew what was going on, and he did the same thing. He looked, looked at what was going on, assessed the situation, and kept moving. And again, I don't think he was, I don't personally think he was having a bad day, didn't feel like obeying the law, I think it was just that he saw this person as someone who was not his neighbor. Uh, next, a Samaritan came along, 
And the Samaritans, as I just explained a minute ago, how the Jews felt about Samaritans. And um, the Samaritan, so in their minds, in the minds of the lawyer, and of course, you know, we realize there's people standing around, right, that are all taking this in, other Jewish people. So in their minds, a Samaritan would have been the least likely person to help, right? They're, after all, they are, they are just idolaters, they're not they're half-breeds, uh, you know, we don't associate with them, so naturally, uh, they wouldn't have helped the guy, but of course, he does, right? That's the beauty of the story is that Jesus picked the Samaritan and would be the one to show compassion. So again, I want to remind you that the race or religion of the injured man was not identified in the story. So I think that we would have to assume that this factor was not important to the Samaritan. Right? He didn't look at the person as a Jew or a Samaritan or a Gentile or a foreigner or whatever, different color skin. He, the Samaritan just looked at them as a person he did not consider those things in his decision. He had compassion on the person. He felt he, you know, he, remember, Samaritans did know the law too, even though they had it mixed with other things. They did know the law, so he would have known it was important to love your neighbor. That's what God commanded, and he did that. And he looked at this person, his neighbor. He helped him. He bound, bound up his wounds. He took him to the end, and he paid for his stay while he was at the end, convalescing. So really, a look at the Samaritan was quite impressive. He went over and above what anyone would have been expected to do, right? If he just went there and said, oh, let me help you out, and bandaged him up and took him somewhere and said, hey, you know, do you have any relatives I can, I can, I guess you can't call him, right? Do you have any relatives I can put a word out to? And that would have been more than enough. But this guy not only gave up his time, but he gave up his, his financial resources as well to help this person. So demonstrating again that he understood the law of Moses to love their, his neighbor, and he understood that his neighbor was anyone who needs your help. So after Jesus gives the parable, he asked the lawyer, well, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. Now that was, a, that was the right answer. Notice he didn't say the Samaritan. I don't know, that was kind of interesting. He just said the one who showed him mercy. But anyway, um, I would add that also to the lawyer's credit, he didn't ask any clarifying questions, right? He didn't say, well, uh, okay, Jesus, uh, I, I get what you're saying here, but let me just ask you a few questions about the man. You didn't really say anything about whether he was a Jew or a Samaritan or a Roman or the color of his skin. You didn't say anything about that. But he didn't, to his credit, he didn't ask that question because he realized that he didn't need that information to give his answer. He got the point, in other words, right? He got the point of the parable that everyone is your neighbor. But he gave the right answer, but we really don't know from this passage the condition of his heart. Was his heart changed by hearing this parable? Uh, again, we don't really know, but he gave the right answer. But when you think about it, what choice did he have? What choice did he have? What was he going to do with that? All these people standing around saying, oh, I think the priest was the best neighbor to the guy. No, he, he had to say the, the, uh, the one who showed him mercy, right? And um, so it's hard to say whether he really, his heart was really changed. And that's a, a good lesson to us, right, just to me and, and I think to us all right there, is that it's easy to take in the head knowledge, right, and to sit in church and to listen to the messages and learn the principles and to 
even read our Bibles at home and, and take it in, what the Bible's saying and the message of it. But it's another thing for it to change our heart, right? So we have to be open to the Lord to change our heart when we hear his message. And sometimes that happens pretty quickly. Sometimes we're convicted and we feel it. And sometimes it takes a while. And that's why I think meditation is important too, right? It's important to meditate on the word so that we let it do its job and changing our hearts. So so we don't want to be like, I don't want to judge Gloria Truhart because maybe it did make an impact, but I'm just saying it doesn't, we don't know for sure. Now it is also interesting that the lawyer uses the word mercy in his response. Jesus didn't use that word in, this, in the parable. So let's just talk about mercy for, for a minute here. Mercy is an outward manifestation of pity. It assumes that the, the need on the part of the person who receives it and resources on the part of the, the person who is being merciful has adequate resources to meet the per, need of the person who shows it. There we go. That was a mouthful. So, um, so it's definitely the right word to use for the Samaritan here. Now, mercy is one of God's attributes. The Bible tells us that he is rich in mercy and that by his mercy he saved us. So it was by his mercy that he sent his son to die for our sins because he knew that we could not help ourselves and we needed help. We needed Jesus to die on the cross for us. Now, Jesus himself, in another passage in the New Testament, refers to mercy as a weightier matter of the law. That was interesting, a weightier matter of the law. So there are many teachings in the Bible, but some have more importance than others. So we don't want to miss out on the idea of being merciful and what mercy is and how we should show mercy to others. It is an important teacher, teaching. It's a weightier, weightier matter of the law. So going back to the lawyer, Jesus affirms that the lawyer's answer is correct, and he tells him, go and do likewise, right? Meaning that he should start living out uh, what the law teaches and stop trying to find loopholes and exceptions uh, to God's commandments. Now Jesus is not only teaching this to the lawyer, but also to those who are there, right? The crowd around him. And it's not only for them, but it's recorded in the Bible, so it's for us as well, correct? Right? We should also... Um, follow the example of the Good Samaritan and be a good neighbor. We should go and do likewise, showing mercy to our neighbors and not uh, trying to de decide uh, whether this person's our neighbor or this person's not. We should set aside all those things about race, religion. And of course, today it becomes a little more complicated, right? Because it's not <laughs> race or religion only. Uh, it's also sexual orientation, right? There's that whole thing out there, which you're all very aware of, so I don't need to explain it to you. Um, but that's another differentiator out there. And there's others as well. I don't need to get into them all. Uh, but you can apply it to a number of situations. But So we should help our neighbors when we can. Be generous without any expectation of return. Um, not expecting anything in return. You know, if your neighbors, say, needed a ride somewhere, say a doctor's appointment, and maybe their son was supposed to take them and he couldn't make it or whatever, and you offer to help them, so you take him to the doctor, but on the way back, you say, oh, I'm just going to stop at the gas station here. And you get out, and you're like, hey, uh, I'm a little short on cash. I wanted to fill it up because I have to go somewhere tomorrow. Do you got five bucks? I mean, okay, we see what you're doing there, right? So if, if you're going to be generous to somebody and help them, don't, don't ask for money in, in, in exchange. I remember one time uh, we were camping with the kids. This was probably 15 years ago or so. We were camping at Bear Mountain near New York City. We used to like to do that, like camp outside of a city and then hang out there and have some fun and then go into the city to sightsee. 
So we did that, and um, so we had the, the van there, and, and the battery died. I was having trouble with the battery, and so it died, and so there was a guy near us, and he had a bunch of kids, like some group or something. He had a bunch of young boys and some, some men. Anyway, I went over and asked him if he would jump my car, and he said he would. So after a while, he came over, and so he's jumping my car, and uh, he sees a pile of a wood, firewood we have, that I have there, and he's like, oh, hey, I see you got some firewood. Would you mind uh, giving me some of your firewood? Because we could use some. I'm like, sure, you can take, take whatever, you know. But I just thought it was interesting, right, that he couldn't just do a favor for somebody. He had to get something out of it for himself. And so, uh, to me, it kind of lessened the whole neighborly aspect of it. Um, but interestingly enough, too, our neighbors don't always need help, right? Doesn't mean that we should ignore them. I've never found any of my neighbors lying by the road half dead of you. <laughs> no, it's, it's not likely to happen. Uh, but we, where do we find our neighbors? Of course, we find them in our neighborhood, right? We find them in stores and schools and wherever we go, we see our neighbors. And so the question is, how do we treat someone who is our neighbor? That's another aspect of this, not just that they have a need that, you have, that we help them, but also how do we treat them? What is our attitude? towards them. If, if we saw some of our neighbors coming down the street, would we say, oh, would we walk on the other side of the street, like the priest and the Levite, or would we close the curtains and say, well, I'm not going to go out now, wait till they go by, right? So how do we treat our neighbors? How do we interact with other people? Do we show love? Do we show that we care about them? And, and of course, there's always, you can always find ways to show love by helping them in some small way. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing today, right? Interesting dynamic going out there, and this is something I think that's more recent in the terms of Christianity in, in America. Um, you know, Christians are seen as haters, right? You've probably heard that. It's, it's, it's in our culture. It's in pop music. It's on news. It's, you see it. Christians are seen as haters. And why is that? Well, um, I think there's two reasons. One reason is that we we don't agree with immoral, the immoral, immoral lifestyles that people are living today, whether it's homosexuality or other things, abortion. So we stand against those kind of things, and we should. There are immoral things that we should stand against, and we should hold our principles and those types of things forth. And because of that, we're seen as haters, right? Because we hate those people, and, and we don't. We don't. We shouldn't, anyway, hate those people. We, right? There's the old saying, "We hate the sin, but we love the sinner." And it's, and you know, it's an old adage. It is still applicable today, right? We hate the sin, uh, but love the sinner, and we should be able to do that. But unfortunately, some of the things that we are Christians are, are accused of are are true. Sometimes we do have hate. I hate to admit it, but we do have hate for people who aren't like us. And if we if we show that in any way, then any then when people who are not Christians say that about us, then it is justified. So I think it's something we need to be aware of. And and yes, it's easy to look at someone who's different than us and get upset and, and show anger. And um, it's easy to do. And so yeah, we have to we have to remember that it's, we love we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. We don't want to be seen as haters. But whatever we do, I think we'll still be seen as that because. It's not just an enemy. It's a it's a tool that the enemy is using against us, and um, we can all we can do is just love people 
and hopefully that'll change at least somebody's mind, right? Maybe not everybody. Well, keep in mind uh, that the original question uh, posed by the lawyer was, you know, not about the neighbor. That was the second question. Uh, the original question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? So let's just talk about, let's just remember that whole, the whole teaching about the neighbor, although very important, is really something that came in because of the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember, the, uh, Jesus asked the lawyer what his answer was, and the lawyer said to keep the commandments, and Jesus said, do this and you will live. So let's go back there now. Let's swing back around. So, again, if I was the lawyer and Jesus said that to me, I'd be a little concerned, right? Because I know I'm not good enough to, to uh, earn salvation. But, again, this lawyer is coming from a different perspective. But if he is honest with himself, he will see that it is impossible for him to do this and live. It is impossible for him or anyone else to keep the commandments, because after all, we are humans. We are sinful. We're weak, selfish, and we're not even, try as we might, we're not even close to being perfect. So for the lawyer's sake, I hope he was able to come to that point where he was able to humble himself before the Lord and admit his sin and cry out for salvation. There are many um, instances in the Bible, in the New Testament, recorded where Jesus has interactions with an individual. Right? Like this one here. There's many of them. Now, at the end of those stories, at the end of those passages, many times or often you hear Jesus saying to the person, your faith has saved you, or your faith has healed you, or your sins are forgiven you. Now, if I had an encounter in, with Jesus, those are the things I'd want to hear at the end, right? I, I wouldn't want to hear, here's a perfect man, go and do likewise. <laughs> you know? That's not what I want to hear. So I know when I came to the Lord many years ago, when I came to him, that's the message I got, right? Is, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Yes, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. That's what I got out of the encounter. Not uh, go and do likewise of this uh, perfect person of loving the Lord, you know, loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbors yourself. Um, so I hope the lawyer came to that point where he was able to get the lesson not just about the neighbor, but about his need for forgiveness and salvation from the Messiah, uh, and not based on his own works. So the lessons, of, wrapping it up here, the lessons of the parable of the Good Samaritan are really threefold, right? We are to set aside our prejudices, to, to show love and compassion for others. We are to consider uh, everyone our neighbor, not just people that are like us. And uh, thirdly and lastly, um, Keeping the law in its entirety with its, the intent to save ourselves is an impossible task. We need a Savior, and we need Jesus. I mean, if we call him Savior, he is the Savior. And if, we're, if we can save ourselves, why would we need a Savior? Right? We need a Savior because we can't uh, save ourselves. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together in your word. We pray that uh, your word would, again, work in our hearts, Lord, and, and Convict us where we need to be convicted and teach us and show us uh, the righteous path, Lord. And, and may we have the uh, courage and faith and the strength uh, from you to follow your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.